This episode is brought to you by Rewind. Rewind offers e-commerce brands a solution that protects their stores against unexpected downtime. Rewind adds an undo button to your store, continually saving every change you make and backing up the critical data which runs your business. This episode is also brought to you by Outer. Outer creates the world's most comfortable and durable outdoor furniture made from proprietary fabrics that are both eco-friendly and water stain, fade, and mold resistant. This episode is brought to you by Gorgeous. In case you don't already know, Gorgeous is the leading customer support platform built for e-commerce companies. Stay tuned to hear from Alexandra Collis, the Director of Customer Experience for Princess Polly, an online fashion powerhouse, to hear how Gorgeous enables Princess Polly to manage all of their customer service channels in one place. Stay tuned for some special offers from our amazing sponsors exclusively for Stairway to CEO listeners later in the show. Hello, everyone. It's Lee Green, and welcome back to the Stairway to CEO podcast. It's my mission to bring you real, honest, and unfiltered interviews with some of the most innovative founders and CEOs from all walks of life. We'll talk about their climb to the top, their stumbles along the way, and the steps they took to get them to where they are. So tune in to get inspired, listen to some real talk, and enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 101 of the Stairway to CEO podcast. I'm your host, Lee Green, and today I spoke with Kevin Rutherford, the CEO or otherwise known as the Chief Eternal Optimist of Noon. Founded in Seattle in 2004, Noon quickly became known for their low-sugar electrolyte tablets, which revolutionized the sports beverage market and was recently acquired in July 2021 by Nestle. In this episode, Kevin shares with us his inspiring career journey from growing up in Ottawa, Canada, to working as a brand manager at SC Johnson, to turning around Miller Genuine Draft from a 17-year decline, to landing his first CEO role at Mrs. Meyer's Clean Day, to starting as CEO at noon almost nine years ago. We talk about the positive changes he's made while leading Noon, what he thinks makes a great leader, the importance of progress over perfection, and how to support your team when they're struggling. If you like what you're hearing on the Stairway to CEO podcast, don't forget to click subscribe to get updates on when we publish new episodes every Tuesday morning. You can follow us on Spotify or check us out at stairwaytoceo.com. Until next time, I hope you enjoy this episode. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. I'm really excited to hear your story and becoming CEO of Noon Hydration. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh gosh, thanks for having me, Lee. It's good to be here. <laughs> so where are you calling from? I am calling from Seattle, Washington. Although uh, as we talk and you see on your video screen, I have a Canada flag over my shoulder. So I'm a proud Yeah, I know. I was a little Canadian. confused. Thought you might be in Canada. That's why I want to give you some clarity. Yeah. Near yeah. the border, but in Seattle, Washington. Nice. And where are you from originally? Ottawa, Canada, the nation's capital. Um, so hence why there's a flag behind you. You took it with you. <laughs> I took it with me right off, right off the Capitol building. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah, no, uh, I, Ottawa, Canada, proud Canadian, like every Canadian wants you to know that. So we tend to do that maybe too often. I mean, Canada is a pretty awesome place. <laughs> 
I'm pretty sure maternity leave is like 18 months. It's definitely a year. I didn't know, but it could be, it could be 18 months, but it, it, it was a year. So I don't know if it's longer than that now. Yeah. I, I feel like all women should be moving to Canada. Fair comment. I wouldn't disagree with that based on <laughs> at least that one anecdote for sure. Right. At least that one, that one benefit. So what was it like growing up in Ottawa? What were you, what kind of kid were you? I kind of feel like I'm the same person as I was as a kid as I am here today speaking with you. Uh, so, but I guess I've changed a little bit. Uh, I have, I have three siblings. So my mom and dad had my older sister and I, and then my parents uh, divorced. Well, I guess I was at age, um, just under age of nine. And then my mom uh, got remarried a few years later. And then, so I now have another brother and sister that are much younger than me um, for my mom's second marriage. So I have three siblings. Yeah. Divorce at that age is really tough, huh? Nine years old is a rough age. Maybe it speaks to character on different things of what's in your DNA. Yes, rough. But at the same time, I didn't really take it that hard. Like I just, for whatever reason, that didn't really disrupt my flow in life. I don't know why. I don't totally get it. And I do think it's just a lucky DNA piece. I don't understand. Yeah. I kind of just kept flowing. Yeah. I haven't heard that before. Normally divorces I've heard have a really harsh impact on the kids, unfortunately. But think about this though. So if your parents it's funny. We, we, I don't think either of us thought we were going here, but I, you know, when I think of, when I think way back to then, your parents in this case, our parents, they weren't happy with each other. Like it was not working, and and so I almost felt, I think, a little bit of relief uh, in some ways for both of them. Um, probably had more compassion toward my mom, quite honestly. And yeah, I, th- I think from that perspective, was there. You know. Yeah, that makes sense. Like if it's not very healthy, it's just like, finally it's over. Oh, yeah. Let's move on. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, you know, maybe it just kind of speaks to, I'm, I'm probably about harmony. Like when, it, when I, as we're talking, I'm thinking that's, I'm really not that different today. Like, can't we all get along? Right. Like, let's get along. And if not, let's <laughs> yeah. shift directions so that we can figure it out so we can be happy. Maybe that contributed to your CEO skills. Well, I think both my parents definitely contributed to it. I never thought of that as an inflection point, by the way, they contributed to it, but you never know. It, it could have. This is. What do you think did? Do you, do you look back and think, yeah, that actually really helped me become a really great leader? 100% thought about it many times. My mom, uh, gosh, my mom is so non judgmental. She really has a lot of curiosity to learn about people and who you are. And so she has an extraordinary skill for listening. And I try, I'm not as good as my mom, but I, I try to emulate that. My dad is, he, well, he was, he's passed away actually a couple of years ago. He was a storyteller. He was very competitive in sports. I'm, I, and I grew up obsessed with sports and still love it to this day. That's the one place where people don't realize I'm super competitive, but he, but he was, oh, well, hockey, of course, is my number one sport being Canadian. So I still play it today. Um, but I do do endurance sports, so triathlon running, right? So I, I do do that most of the time as well. But, you know, I think, I think his competitive spirit was, was one of them. And the other thing about my dad was he was always like the leader captain, if you will, on his teams. Like he used to play a lot of sports, but he wasn't, that didn't mean he was the best player. I think he was the play. He was the guy that would try to lift his team up and energize them and keep them going. And I think somehow I inherited 
bad. That's interesting you say that. I look back and I think about my dad and my dad was literally always the leader in everything he did. Like he would never really join something just to be part of it. He would join it to lead it. (laughs) A lot of similarities. Yeah, it would be small group stuff. Um, Like it could be a car club that he's part of and he wants to like, he likes it, but he's definitely working his way to be like the leader of the whole group, right? Or I remember this like roof crashed down in this theater near where we, where they used to live. I had already moved out of the house by then, but he basically like helped raise a bunch of money to fix the roof of the theater and was the leader in the whole group to make it happen. And he had just moved to the neighborhood too. Like he was brand new, he was the new guy. And here he comes in like, hey, we're going to fix this This is what we're going to do. And here's how we're going to rally together to make it happen. But yeah, that's kind of funny, right? It's, I always find it fascinating how our parents really affect, um, you know, so it's in our blood, but it's also, I think, part of um, nurture as well. Yeah, right. So there's a nurture and nature component here. And you're right. I think that nurture component is there for sure. So what did you want to be when you grew up? Did you have any dreams or aspirations as a kid? Did you know what a CEO even was? I didn't know what a CEO was, actually. I would say there are, you know, different chapters in your life as a kid, you know, not surprise hockey player, but if I wasn't going to be a hockey player, I wanted to be a commentator. I wanted to be the voice. I wanted to do that. That's kind of interesting of maybe a bit of a correlation of, you know, being in front of the teams a lot and, and different folks. So those were kind of my aspirations. So it was really, you can see very sports minded and a talker, I guess. <laughs> um, I think later, by the way, you know, I think, as I was going through and, and coming into university and what do I want to do? I thought I wanted to be very much on the financially minded driven person, whether that's investment banker or wall street of some sort. I I wasn't being honest with myself. I thought that's what I was supposed to do. And then I realized, you know, there was a whole different angle that I, I discovered was my passion was really around marketing and communicating and connecting um, with people just very different. What were your early jobs? What were some of the first jobs that you had? The first jobs that that I had, so, you know, delivering newspapers, which I don't know if anyone even does that anymore. Um, <laughs> uh, but I, I did do that. That was actually my first job. Um, and I was also an instructor for younger kids. When I was, when I, so I'm 15, 16, I'm, you know, a hockey instructor at a camp uh, to, to help other kids. Again, I was following my passion point. But when it came to, let's call it, let's do some real jobs uh, as a teenager, it was, I worked in a grocery store at Loblaws, which I later um, went on to work at their headquarters. Really? So you started as a cashier? Correct. I did. And then worked in different departments. It was good money as a teenager. Honestly, back then, it made good money. I actually did it all the way through high school and then through university um, and paid for school. And I, I developed I developed some some leadership skills there because what ended up happening was they had over time, I started to lead the group if I was had a shift for eight hours on a Saturday evening. It's like, okay, you're the leader to help people get their breaks and their lunch breaks. And how do you shift things and manage issues, um, which was at a young age, that was a really great experience um, for me to do that one. Again, a long time ago, but it's interesting. The other job I was doing simultaneously, also worth noting, which kind of leads to where my mind thought I should be doing, was uh, I also worked in a bank. Um, so I was doing the teller uh, work there as well. So at the uh, the Bank of Nova Scotia is what it's called up in Canada. Yeah. And so what was your first job out of college? Yeah. So uh, there, there's probably a lesson learned for people here is um, you, it's a small world. You never know what's going to happen. And 
when I was graduating university, Loblaws, the regional office was trying to get me to go into a program in the grocery store at the headquarters. So as I'm graduating, they're like, are you like, when's your school over? Because we, we want you here. Uh, and and that's that's kind of a lucky it was a really lucky situation because it was a great scenario to kick off my career um, and end up working at the, uh, the Loblaws headquarters um, in Toronto. I was just really lucky. And I just got, the, I guess they got to know me somehow in the stores. These people within the headquarter leadership positions was pretty cool. Yeah. So what were you doing in the corporate side of things for the store? Yeah, it was. Um, so basically start off as pricing analyst, right? So that's, you know, Analyst job is it's the foundational skill for, I think, many jobs out there. And I'm glad I did it. That led to me becoming a buyer. So me meeting with the the noon hydration brands and other brands of the world that you know are pitching their products, I would be the person making that call saying, yep, nope, yep, however that works. Um, obviously, I know how it works. But in essence, I'm on the other side of the desk, which was also a foundational skill that helped me my entire career. Cause now I understand what the buyer is looking for and who we're pitching my entire career after that. Cause I was one, I was it, I was in that seat. So it's really cool when you have the opportunity to be on both sides. I, I think of it too. Like if you have the opportunity, I, I worked at an accelerator, so I got to be able to see what it was like for companies to be built. So then when I became an entrepreneur, I kind of knew, okay, this is what it, at least accelerators and investors look for in a pitch deck or in a pitch it's really helpful to see both sides. So that is a huge advantage. I can imagine how much that helped you and, and help helping you help others. Oh gosh, what a, what a valuable asset and skill and competency that you got. That's amazing. Yeah. And you as well. And so I see that you worked at SC Johnson, which I just did an interview with Craig, the CEO of Yasso. He also worked there. So I'm now like, wait a minute, <laughs> when were you there at the same time? Craig and I did cross paths for quite a while, actually. Uh, Craig is a high energy, awesome human and such a driver. I learned a lot from him. Uh, the truth be told, a lot of people don't know this. Um, so I worked at um, SC Johnson, a family company uh, up in Canada, and he was one of the key sponsors in the U.S. that brought me to the U.S., um, to Wisconsin. Uh, it was Craig and, and I was fortunately, there were several others, but Craig was the key one. And I actually worked for Craig. It was a great experience. Craig, Craig taught me a lot in a very short period of time um, before I shifted to a different assignment. But yeah. So you were also, you were, you know, brand manager there. What kind of brands were you working with? Yeah, it's funny. I, I, as you say that, I actually use this example for people when they think about their careers and what they're doing. And, you know, the brands that I've worked on later on in my career are like a lot of people really love them. They've got a lot of raving fans. And so if you go to my SC Johnson one, there's a lot of people that buy it. I don't know if there's raving fans. So as an example, I worked on Drano, Drain Cleaner. I worked on Shout. But, but, but here's the thing. If you ask me, do I love my job when I was doing that? My answer to you would be, absolutely, I love it. Here's why, boom, boom, boom. And I would explain why. Would I want to do that today? Well, one, I've already done it, so no, but maybe two, I've just kind of ventured and learned things that I like more, but you can be passionate about almost anything, really, um, and I loved what I did. Um, SC Johnson is a great, SC Johnson, a family company, is a, it, they're, they're a great one. It's a really good one. It's kind of, um, it's kind of like a Procter and, mini Procter & Gamble in terms of its approach, very sophisticated, very smart, very methodical, and you learn a lot there. 
That's awesome. And, and I like what you said. You said you can be passionate about anything. And I, I, when you said that, I was like, can you, <laughs> you know, cause I, I find myself to be a very passionate person and I'm not sure if I would be passionate about anything. Let's use this example for drain cleaners, right? Let, let's just use this one again. This is a long time ago, so I'm not trying to pitch you or anything, but if I said you were going to go work on that, you'd probably go, Oh, hum. Okay. Like, right. Right. Drain cleaner. Fun. But what's interesting is when I started to connect with the sales team internally and say, listen, here's the problem. Like, let me just explain the problem to you. Just see if I can get you there for a moment. All right. And I go, here's the problem. We've all experienced this as individuals, right? So when a drain starts to back up, let's use your shower as an example. And it's, it's not draining as fast. You're like, Oh, I'll have to look at that at some point. And then like a week later, it's going above your, it's kind of going to above your ankles. And you're like, Oh, this is getting pretty serious. I wonder what I should do. And then it starts to get to your calves and like, ah, I need to do something. Right. It's so the point is I'm just having into an emotional connection with the consumer. And that's what I discovered in this role. And that's what I got passionate about. And then there was a solution. And so to be honest, I got really good at this story that the sales team was like, we need you to do. I literally did a cross country tour of pitching this logic of the, the, what the consumer's thinking and what our solution is and why this is good for your business. So I was kind of like, you know, person selling shower curtain rings in this case, I was doing Drano and it, I loved it. I really did. I really did. It sounds like you're really good at sales. Uh, maybe, maybe. Um, <laughs> and storytelling at least. Yeah, yeah maybe. Um, marketing is, is definitely where the folks was, but I spent a lot of time in sales. Yeah, I actually think everybody's in sales, quite honestly. It's true. That is true, actually. I think everybody has to do sales, whether you kind of like it or not. You're, you're in sales trying to get a job <laughs> for yourself. You're just in sales all the time. Everything. You everything in life, if you're trying to get your message across to somebody, whether it's your parent, your, your sibling, your partner, I don't, and I don't mean this is going to sound derogatory, but I don't mean like the baby blue suit selling a used car. uh, That's not really good. Right. Like that kind of, you know, used car salesperson. I mean, you really do need to help people understand what the benefit is. What's the value you're bringing. And I think, I think we should all work on that. There, there's no like negative intent behind that, of course. Yeah. I don't understand. Why does sales have to have such a bad connotation? You know, because you're right. Everybody's like, no, no, not the used car salesman. Poor guys. I mean, why do they always have to be the example? <laughs> if like, I mean, I don't have friends that are used car salesmen, but if I did, I'd feel really bad, you know, because they're always used as these examples. I think it's because there's so many horror stories and it's it's outward facing and those that don't take an ethical approach and what they're doing. After SC Johnson, you were there for quite a few years. Where'd you go after that? It looks like a a brewing company. I did. I went to my first all natural products company, um, Miller Brewing Company. That was a, that was a really great assignment. So I stayed in Wisconsin, lived in Milwaukee. This is interesting on this assignment. What I learned as a skill there that, that helped me imagine trying to connect with consumers around just an emotional benefit and the beers aren't that different. Sorry to my friends at Miller Brewing Company, but, but like picture, and I didn't work on Miller Lite, but let's say use Miller Lite because a lot of people know that one, Bud Light, Coors Light. The differences aren't massive. It is at like, there is differences to, in fairness, but it really is about an emotional connection. Like I'm a Miller Lite person. I'm a Bud Light person. I'm a Coors Light person. And, and so that's a marketing, that's a whole different approach where SC Johnson was much more this clears the clog better than yours, 98% better. 
it's like solving a problem versus an emotion because beer, what problem are you solving other than maybe making your day a little better? Right. It's all about it. It all distills down to one thing in beer. It's an escape. That's, that's really what it is. Like you said, it's make my day a little better. Um, the quintessential one, um, that does it has done it well over the years, I think, uh, is Corona, right. And picture when you think Corona, what do you picture? You picture a beach. Beach. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I didn't work on Corona. It's a different company, so they should be my arch enemy, but I think they, they kind of nailed that. Interesting. Tell me about your, your time there. I mean, is there any takeaways you have from these two, you know, kind of different companies with different, totally different brands? You know, what are some of the big takeaways you have? I've, I've, I've reflected a lot of my career worth, worth noting in um, Steve Jobs in his talk at Stanford way back. If you haven't watched that talk, it's such a good one. And um, he said, you can only connect the dots in life by looking backwards. And so I've, I've spent some time doing this, thinking about my career path going, how did, how did this all happen? Like, how did I end up here? And the lesson that I learned on connecting the dots from Miller was there was a little bit about the marketing piece, the emotional connection. I think the other one that Miller is getting back, um, I think they're doing a better job uh, and I haven't been there for a long time. So I think the team's doing a great job. They were kind of chasing trends and where they needed to go. And they lost, in my mind, kind of lost a little bit of the passion for beer, like what it is. And it was almost like they were trying to be something that they, they weren't. If I, I'll give you even a, an example that I worked on. So I worked on Miller Genuine Draft and Miller Genuine Draft was going through a double digit decline for, I believe it was 17 years straight, 17 years straight. In fact, when I took that assignment, my peers were like, what are you doing, Kevin? Right. This is a career killer. <laughs> what are you doing? Right. And I'm like, I don't know. It just seems really, it seems kind of interesting. And I, I think it's going to be fun. Um, and so one of the things that's, that when you think about that as a 17 year decline, it's like, well, the good news is you have free reign to do a lot of things, which is what the previous teams were doing. And they were, the team did some really great stuff, by the way, like prior to us coming, like me and the team that were on it. The challenge was it was like back to an emotional connection. You need to connect with your, your ethos and the shared values of your consumer. And so back then, what was really hot was Heineken, Corona, Stella Artois, like these, basically all the import beers were kind of hot and think club, right. Going out clubbing, like that's what, so they tried to make Miller genuine draft that, which doesn't fit the people that were the raving fans that were still hanging on were now 30 somethings that are mowing the lawn and they have a kid and they just want a relaxing beer. And so we said, wait a sec. Okay, hold on. Let's just go back to our roots for a minute here and let's just own it versus trying to be where the trend is going. And so I think it's really interesting about the passion for what is connected share values. And so we did. So we created this campaign around genuine beer for genuine guys, by the way, the whole, the whole nugget that like light bulb went off for us was genuine's in the name draft is in the name. It's the only product where you can get draft beer in a bottle of can or on tap. So we said, let's do this genuine beer for genuine guys. It worked in our test markets, which was Minneapolis and, and Milwaukee. We actually turned it into a growth. Like remember 17 years decline and we turned it into a growth. And then our team also um, developed uh, someone who I'm super close with and a great friend and an amazing leader um, as well. But we worked together on this one. She led it for me on this one is Miller Genuine Draft Light became MGD 64. And it was like targeting a different segment of consumers that was feeding off of the genuine piece, but it was targeted women. And it was the lightest beer in the market, incredibly successful, 64 calories. And da, da, da. It was really a fun assignment. I learned a lot about emotional connection 
and passion for what you have has to instill across everybody. I think MGD became the team that people wanted to be on roughly a year after we got this thing rolling, which was really cool. It was career killer to where do you want to be? And you were part of that. I was part of what we called ourselves the dream team at that time. It was super fun. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. I think uh, most people like would be questioning your sanity for that, but you are the chief eternal optimist. So I'm not actually that surprised with your title, you know? Yeah. So then you were at Cashy um, as a marketing director. How was that transition from Miller Brewing Company into Cashy? One, I went to Kashi. I always wanted to live in San Diego. So I'm not, I have to say that because I would be lying if I didn't put that in, in this rationale for the move. So Allison, the person I worked with at Miller was the one that recommended me for mar- the marketing director position. So she left Miller and went to Kashi. And then she recommended me when there was a potential opportunity. So I, I had a bit of a, an in or at least at least a chance. Here's what I would say. I think the most important thing I would say about Kashi is this. So Miller, I learned, I told you about that lesson learned about passion around the product and emotional connection with the consumer. Kashi changed the way I looked at business. I've never looked at business the same way again. This is the place where I learned about purpose, values, mission, and making a difference in the world with your product was at the forefront. This is a, this time, if you look at the timing on my resume, it's actually pre- Simon Sinek's Why Talk. Um, so f- for those of you that haven't heard that one or watched that TED Talk, top five watched of all time, that summarizes when I watched it, I'm like, oh my gosh, that was, that was Kashi. That was Kashi. We just didn't have it articulated that way. Um, but that was it. It was all about the why. And it was there where like, it, it were work and personal values, like the world completely collided or blended where I didn't know where it stopped and started. And it's such a good way. Again, I was like, this is what I want to do. I thought I would never leave. I thought I would never leave because I loved San Diego and I loved what I did. Um, So I had zero intention of leaving there. I could probably just take you to the next step and tell you why a lot. Yeah, because I'm like, but <laughs> you did. <laughs> yep, but you left well, after two years too. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was but two and a half, right? So it wasn't as long. I, again, I never wanted to leave. But then uh, SC Johnson actually acquired another company called the Calderay Company, Mrs. Myers Clean Day. And um, they kind of kept track, I guess, through my, um, I met my wife actually uh, at SC Johnson. And so she was still working with SC Johnson remotely from San Diego. And through her, they were kind of following my career. And they're like, do you think Kevin would want to be CEO of this company to take over for the founder that we just acquired? And uh, actually, I'll share this one little story for you. This is how it actually went down as I come home from Kelly told them, no, my wife told him, no, he will never do it. He loves what he's doing. There's no way he'll do it. And they said, can you just ask him if he'd be interested in being candidate? Can you just ask him? And so, so Kelly goes, well, because CEO is a big title. I mean, you're a marketing director agree. for Kashi, right? 110% so, agree. You're spot on. Wife's like, nah, he doesn't need the CEO title. I'm not kidding you. Because I think it was because she knew how much I loved my job and the location. She's like, there's no way he's going to go to Minnesota from San Diego. And so he's just not going to entertain it. So I come home and <laughs> long story here. Sorry about that. But my, my basically I come home and, and Kelly's says to me, Hey, Kevin, 
the team at SC Johnson wanted to ask me, ask you a question. I'm like, oh yeah, what's up? What's going on? Yeah. They wanted to know if you'd be interested in being a candidate for the CEO position uh, for Culture A Company, Mrs. Myers Clean Day. And then I said, wait, you mean like the one that's better for the planet? That one? And her reaction was, oh crap. And she, and, I, and I go, what do you, what, well, crap, what? She goes, I thought you wouldn't, you'd be like, no, like right away. You, you've already asked a question. So I know you're actually wondering more about it. Yeah. Now she's like, ah, shit, I should have never said this. I don't want to go to Minnesota. I like it here. The sun is great. I was being more polite when I said, oh crap. I did actually say, it. she did say, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. So she's like, here we go again, back to the cold. And I, I got, I was really, I was really fortunate. I was, I got to take over for the founder, um, take over for that company and, and did that for just close to three years, a little bit under that. It was, it was a great, great opportunity. And it, and what it did was I was, I kind of took the playbook of what I'd learned up until that point and said, let's apply it here. How do I apply it? And the reason it got me excited was I saw this as a planet friendly alternative to other cleaners, which excited me. Um, and then the other one was it was a chance to lead a team. And that's, I think, the common thread through childhood to today that I realize I get my energy from, from sports teams to right today, is all about teams. And that's, I, I realize it now. How big was the team when, when you started? It was a little over 20 people. I think when I left, it was somewhere close to 45 to 50 people. The revenue is kind of almost reflects what I just said on people, right? The revenue is mid, mid 20 millions to, you know, it went up to just shy of 50 million back at the time. So, yeah. And then, you know, I, I moved on from that assignment. Um, well, role, uh, SC Johnson wanted to change their approach and wanted to, instead of have a standalone company, they wanted, wanted to move it internally and they had a better better leader for that role um, than, than would be me, quite honestly, that they'd be much better at it. But how did that make you feel? Were you just like, wait a minute, just give me a shot. I can do it. Or were you like, no, you're right. Yes and no, actually. So I, when I have had the chance to talk to people about my, my career journey, I get to this point actually on my talk. And I talk about some of the things that we were doing at Mrs. Myers and this team was amazing. We had grown not just the business, but we've grown as a culture and became really powerful. We were named a top company to work for by Outside Magazine. This is kind of coming that year. We were two and a half X on the size. We were profitable for the first time. Um, not long after I left, we were named target uh, target vendor of the year. Like it's a lot of things going right. Yeah. So you basically were killing it. And why would they want to change that? So then I come into, uh, come into work one day in a meeting with who I reported to from SC Johnson and, and, and she was meeting me there and, and she's like, Kevin, we need a different leader. That's kind of where I kind of dropped that bomb on people when I have the talk, but I, I kind of knew, but I, they couldn't really go into the detail. Um, you know, it's a privately held company, so they tend not to, to dig into that. But, but in essence, what they wanted to do was bring it internal to SC Johnson. I did say in fairness to them at the very beginning, listen, I'm not the right person. So now go back three years, right? I'm not the right person if you want to bring this internally, because I actually really like being the separate company like Kashi was to Kellogg. I wanted this to be that. And I, and I worked at SC Johnson, which I love the company, but I didn't want to go back to the like true big corporate um, headquarters. I just had no desire to do it. And so I did say that. And my guess is they probably saw me as a bit of an obstacle. I'm not going to lie. That's probably what they were thinking. Saying, son, all right, let's figure out this move. And then once we decide how we want to do it, let's, let's do this one. And let's 
let's do the right thing for Kevin and help him go on his way. Meaning they treated me really well. So I'm literally not complaining at all. Um, but I will say that that moment, it's hard. Like it's part of my identity. It's like who I am and um, leading this team. But it was like, I look how well the brand's done, um, honestly. And I can't say they made the wrong move. I think they brought in a great leader and I think the team did well afterwards. I'm sure it shook. I know it shook it to its core at first because no one saw it coming. But yeah, it was tough for me for sure. But at the same time, if I'm really honest with myself, I actually really wouldn't have wanted to take it in internal. It's by the way, it's pulled back external again, <laughs> um, which has happened with a lot of big companies. Yeah. Did they come knocking back on your door? Um, actually, can you go back? No, no. And I'd, I'd moved on too, but, um, but they, yeah, they, they've, they've honestly, that brand is crushing it. They're, they've done great things, even with pulling it in and pulling it back out. They've, they've, they've absolutely crushed it, which I'm happy to see. It's really hard not to take stuff like that personally. Right. And like you said, you had to kind of be honest with yourself. Do you think that's one of the keys to not taking things as personally or harshly, you know, from an emotional perspective to help you kind of get back on your feet and just keep plowing for the next thing? I think you have to give it time too. So let's like, let's be honest with ourselves or me be honest with, with the, with everyone listening is when I heard this news, I was, you know, the, the, the different, you know, stages of grief. Like I was like in denial, like, wait, no, or shock. No. How can it not be? So for sure that, that, uh, gosh, I, I don't buy into that. I will say that given time, you kind of step back and go, I think people are set up for success at different stages of companies. I think I actually realized, thank, thank, thankfully, S.C. Johnson brought me in and had me do this because I think I found where I was really good with the team and the different, like that earlier stage, even smaller than that, um, is where I came in at noon um, and I learned a new skill set, but I didn't know that at the time. So in fairness, again, I can only connect that those dots looking backwards. I don't think um, I'm... I necessarily have the right leadership qualities that whatever those are that they're looking for from an, a big corporate environment to lead that direction. It just doesn't give me energy. Therefore, I don't think I'm going to be the best at it where they can find someone to be better at it. So I think we just have to learn that. Um, so as entrepreneurs and people listening is start to learn where your natural energy goes and where it's like, wait, where, where do I get, like, where am I in flow? Like, where is that really happening? And it doesn't mean you can't do it. The question is, where are you in flow and where are you best? And I think that's, that's the discovery that I had over time. And the Beth person at SC Johnson, she was, she was right. She was looking for a better option or they were looking for a better option. that was a better fit to where they wanted to go. And she had words of wisdom at the time that I didn't appreciate. And she goes, Kevin, you're going to go on and do something even bigger. I'm telling you like you are. You're like, yeah, whatever. You're just saying that to make me feel better. <laughs> oh, I was, I was thinking that for sure. I didn't believe her. Um, <laughs> right. Like, I know your jargon speech. Yeah. You say that to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. No, no. I, I think I was thinking all those things. Um, and, and to her credit, I think she was, she was right. Um, truthfully, I think she was right. Do you think that that is a, is a discovery that you can only make over time? that flow that you're talking about, do you think that really just comes from having experiences and discovering it through time? I do. There's Malcolm Gladwell's, you know, 10,000 hours example, right? Another way to think of it is 10,000 iterations. And I think 
finding that flow and where you're really good is, is a lot of repetition and keep trying. And there's lots of sports analogies we could use here, but I, I do think it's about trying and learning because every individual is different. I do think if you can learn from others, listen to others, you might be able to um, life hack that a little bit and shortcut it for yourself. So you can kind of see what's resonating with you and hopefully get there quicker uh, is, is kind of the ideal. Um, but I, I, I think there's no other way to do it other than ultimately keep trying, keep learning. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Have you ever experienced lost sales due to downtime caused by a corrupt CSV, malicious attack, or rogue third-party app? Even if it hasn't happened yet, it doesn't mean that it won't happen. That's why brands like Pier 1 Import, Lord & Taylor, Hasbro, and Staples use Rewind to keep their store protected. Rewind gives you peace of mind, protects your data, and saves you time and money by easily restoring your data, automatically backing up and keeping a record of every change you make. Get a 30-day free trial with Rewind today by going to rewind.io slash stairway to CEO. That's R-E-W-I-N-D dot I-O slash stairway to CEO. Spring is in the air, which means summer will be here in no time. But is your patio or backyard ready for action? With Outer, you can get your outdoor space decked out with the best-looking sustainable sofas, chairs, coffee tables, eco-friendly rugs, and don't forget their celebrity favorite, Bug Shield Blanket, to keep those mosquitoes away. Want to check it out for yourself? Browse over a 1,000 Outer customers' backyards online and visit a neighborhood showroom in your own neighborhood to experience Outer products in person before you decide to buy. And when you decide to buy, you can get $200 off on furniture purchases by using the code STAIRWAY200 on liveouter.com. That's $200 off amazing furniture purchases with the promo code STAIRWAY200 on liveouter.com. I am Alexandria Collis, Director of Customer Experience for Princess Polly. I'm focused on our strategy and innovation in the CX department here at Princess Polly. I have a quote and I always tell our CX leaders that customer experience is the heart of an organization and we pump the blood and deliver the oxygen to the vital organs in the business to help them thrive and grow stronger. The gorgeous platform allows our agents a seamless place to just do it all. We are really there for the customer every step of the way if they want. Our customers expect quality and efficiency where they are. So the real question is, how do you get quality and efficiency across every single platform? And then once you have it, how do you maintain it? And I believe that with the Gorgeous platform, we can do that. If you're interested in learning more about Gorgeous, go to gorgeous.com and mention podcast for two months free. Thank you so much to our amazing sponsors. I hope you're able to take advantage of these exclusive deals designed just for you. Now let's get back to the show. So how did you stumble across noon hydration? Noon hydration. I said noon. Yeah. yeah. Noon. Um, oh, gosh. Uh, so I, I, I didn't say this before as I'm thinking this. I, I think I am the luckiest person on the planet. So I was consulting in between um, the time at Mrs. Myers and going to noon. And I, I came to this inflection point when I was consulting going, I actually didn't love that because I was missing this team element. Like when I'd finished a project, it's like, okay, Kevin, we'll let you know if we need any more. I'm like, oh, that just feels so empty. And so uh, I really need a connection to a team. So I said, you know what? I'm going to go back out and start looking for another one because I didn't do it right away. 
And I had a couple of job offers in hand and uh, someone put my name in the ring with a board member for noon and said, you need to meet this guy. And who, who knew me? And they go, here's why you want to meet him. This is a guy that went, had Mrs. Meyer's experience, his Miller experience, Kashi experience. Oh, and by the way, he's into endurance sports, right? Like marathons and triathlons and stuff like that. And so that combination intrigued this board member and they were already well into their search. So I got lucky because I didn't know anything was going on. And I had two offers in hand. And they, they, at the time, uh, the truth be told is, Dave Mutzel is the board member. And I said, Dave, I don't think the timing's right. I've got two offers in hand. And I guess this, maybe this just wasn't meant to be. And he goes, give me one week. Give me one week. You like, can you meet every board member? Well, and can you just do that? Delay it. I go, okay. And then I did, I met with every board member. I met with a ton of noon people and here I am, here I am. How many years has it been so far? You've been there a while. Eight and a half years, eight and a half years at noon. We've had a lot of milestones. This is the most magnetic energy of a culture I have ever experienced in my career. I absolutely can't tell you like how, how proud I am of this team. I think what I'm most proud of when it comes to um, results or a, a data point that might help is we, na- we were named um, on Outside Magazine's top companies to work for for five years straight, which is, which is super cool. And it just speaks to people are happy about what they're doing. And to me, I think if you have a team that's stoked and passionate about what they're doing, the results will follow. And as a result, as an example, we were acquired um, this past year by uh, the Nestle Health Science Company, which is probably a good landmark to put in there. A huge landmark. Congratulations. That is massive. How has it been since the acquisition now being part of such a big company? We are still separate, kind of somewhat like the Caldrea company, but like all acquisitions there, there's definitely, there's big changes with the, or differences, I should say, with the cultures and how we approach things. So I'd I'd say this, I'd say many things have been great, like the access to information, the access to resources, helping us think in different ways. Like they had a purchase thesis about what they would tweak to change um, of what we were doing at noon to make it bigger. I completely agreed with it. And I'm like, how did I not see that? Like I literally, I'm like, like, how did I not see the forest through the trees? Like in this case, um, it was so good. It was so smart. So that's been great. The, the challenge is just, you know, when you start getting integrated into the bigger company, it's a different, it's a different way. And I personally, as a leader, I'm like, how do I help navigate that for the team? So they know how to succeed in that. And so we're, we're learning as we're going. It's like what I would say. It's still early stages. So, but I'm, yeah, that sales science has been great. It's a, it's a specific division that's acquired companies like vital proteins, garden of life. Um, It's, it's very different really from the brands and companies that you're thinking of when you think of Nestle typically as like Nestle quick and chocolate milk and stuff. (laughs) Right. And so how big was the team when you first started a CEO and how big is it now? Yeah, we were just over 20 people. I think it was 22, 21. I think if I remember correctly when I started, I think it might've been actually a little bit smaller than that, but um, somewhere around that number. And uh, today we're uh, right around 85 employees you know, projected to be closer to 90 um, as we continue to grow and fill some open spots that we have looking for a job, people, please come. come sign up. <laughs> nice. 
And, you know, within these past, I guess, you know, eight years or so you mentioned, um, you've made quite an impact. You know, I was reading about, you know, you online, obviously doing my homework. Um, you've cut artificial ingredients and preservatives from the product. You've, um, you know, created more profitable channels, taking, you know, the product out of certain stores that weren't working and putting them into national outlets like Whole Foods and Sprouts. You've expanded the product line and the target demographic. And this whole marketing thing with in-person, in real life, there's a whole 4,000 plus, way more than that, I'm sure by now, ambassadors. What are some other things that you've done to contribute? You've made such a huge impact. What are some of the other big things that I'm, I'm not mentioning? One of the things that's, that I think there's some good learning for to share here for the, the team is one of the investors uh, in Noon said this to me after the acquisition, and he made a comment of, this is a classic Harvard business case of when you step back and say, did we get the product right? And so you fix the fundamental before you try to do some other things. I honestly didn't think of it that way, but I was like, that's a good summary. <laughs> so here's here's the deal. When I came into Noon, um, so for those of the folks that are listening, so Noon is spelled N-U-U-N. Um, and I say that so you can, if you want to look it up, you'll know what I'm talking about, but it's an effervescent tablet that you drop into a water bottle. And so it was designed with endurance athletes in mind. Ironman athletes, adventure racers, right? And giving you multiple doses that you can carry with you portable all over the place. And it's high in electrolytes, low in sugar. So it's meant to be about hydration and you use your fuel, whether that's bars, chews, gels, whatever it is, that's your fuel. Don't combine the two. It's a little bit, the analogy that I like to use, it reminds me of back in the day that like when the com combination of shampoo and conditioner came into one basically any hair expert in the past anyway, I'm not an expert on hair to be clear, but what I heard was um, you, you're actually not doing either one very well because you've combined them. And so you want to separate, I think for your body, I know for your body, the physiology, you want to separate your hydration from your fuel. So if you have a ton of sugar, it's really hard to digest and you're actually not, it's not going to work very well. And it's not going to hydrate you actually, it's going to make, it's going to dehydrate you in the end. So anyway, that's how it started. So you go, okay, well, what's the problem? Um, well, not, there wasn't a problem, but, but um, I had a personal philosophy around clean ingredients, clean planet, right? So clean living. And I looked at this and said, listen, we can do this. We can get the performance that noon is without compromising. We just need to have the right science and get to the right ingredients to make that happen. And so I, I think one of the, one of the biggest moves that we made was um, Vishal uh, Patel on our team who leads R and D for us. Such a great story because Vishal was a salesperson in Chicago, a salesperson in Chicago, but he was doing nutritional thoughts and education and trying to help us optimize our products. And so I told Vishal what I wanted to do with and see if he'd be interested. And he packed up his SUV, drove across the country into Seattle, and we basically redeveloped Noon to create a 2.0, which was all natural ingredients, all clean ingredients. The reason why I did that was this. One, I don't think you have to compromise on what you put in your body. I think you can have natural clean ingredients to give you the best performance. That's a, that's a paradigm shift in the sports world because before it was give me the performance and whatever best ingredients, great. But it was all about that. It shifted. You don't have to compromise. And so that was the, the beauty. So we call it 2.0 um, internally uh, on noon. And so that was probably the biggest, biggest change that we made. Another thing worth noting, though, in the spirit of progress over perfection, we had some challenges we needed to go even better on. The moment we launched 2.0, we started to work on 3.0. 
faster dissolve time is what ended up happening with 3.0. Non-GMO project certified, vegan certified. Like we upgraded the level of ingredients in terms of what we were doing. The efficacy actually went up and then we changed the packaging to better communicate. So my point is once you're you're there, you got to be thinking, what's my next evolution to make it better, stronger? Um, And then of course you want to figure out how to extract that value. I think it's the number one thing that, that me and the team did way back is is finding a way to make this all natural and then finding another iteration um, to make it even better. And it it really just has our competition kind of one to two steps behind us because they're trying to figure out what we're doing like match today, but we're already working on 4.0. So I think I think that's fundamentally the biggest thing. And then that opened up the doors for Whole Foods and Sprouts and this whole channel. And then after that, that's when you know, Target and Walmart and other retailers came into play. Yeah. What do you think makes a, a great leader? Because, you know, it's interesting you, you with your, um, you know, the one job that you had with the Mrs. Myers job um, took over for the CEO or the founder there. There was a founder CEO transition. What do you think, especially with your, your experience also at noon, not all great builders and creators and entrepreneurs, I think, are, are also great leaders. Those are very different skill sets. Some people have both. Some people don't. What do you think the difference is between someone who's a really, what makes someone a really great leader? What a, what a wonderful and, and great question. Challenging at that because this kind of you know, parlays, correlates with what you asked me earlier saying, you know, how did you feel when you were moving on from Mrs. Myers? And what do you mean you weren't the right leader, right? And so... There's different things that we're all going to be where our natural energy is and where, where we go. I th- again, I think all of us can do almost anything, to be clear. It doesn't mean we're all going to be great at anything. So when I think of entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs tend to be. So I had the privilege of taking over for an entrepreneur back at Mrs. Myers. And I've also had the privilege of close to it, um, taking over for the, the founder of Noon, who there's a couple of years in between, but call it take over for the founder with a little bit of. Uh, spice in between with another CEO who is, who is really super smart. And so here's what I would say. Founders, entrepreneurs, they have to do everything from day one, every single thing. That's a good thing, right? So they know every piece of the business, sales, operations, manufacturing, finance, marketing, the whole thing. That's great. Once you get going, you can't know everything and you can't do everything. And so the shift goes from being very directive and here's specifically what I need to get done because it's fulfilling to keep that, that mission going. That's very small. So you don't have a lot of scale yet to, I need other people to do it and I need to help them see where we're going. And I also need them to make decisions even when I'm not involved. And I think there's a real shift from being the doer, the creator to helping people create and do. And I actually don't do Like I say, the team does everything. I don't do it. They do it. I really need to help facilitate. And there's, there's one thing, if there's one thing that people need to take away, the fundamental thing that the best leaders have in businesses and sports teams for that matter, the best leaders, one thing, help people feel valued. I want to matter. And so if you think about that, I need to do it through communication. I need to do it through empathy. I need to do it through listening, right? I need to do it by um, empowering and, and, but also coaching. Sometimes there's points where you'd need to be very specific because they've never done it before. And I think you also need to just recognize, I have a philosophy. It's always about the we. 
it's always about the we versus the I. And this team has embraced that wholeheartedly, like way beyond anything that I could have imagined to the point to walk the talk. Options before we got acquired, I pushed with our CFO for years to get our board to approve options for everybody. And when we brought in investment, outside investment from our private equity firm, the thing that closed that with our board, with our chairman, actually, specifically, Dan was our, our, uh, our chairman, I said, Dan, I can't look everyone in the eye and say, we're all in this together and I have options and they don't. How, how do I do that? And I didn't realize I had as much leverage as I had at that moment, but Dan agreed at that moment because we were truthfully, we were about to bring in equity. And if that's what was going to drive me as the CEO and leader, as we're bringing in money, we had to do it before they came in. They would not dilute themselves. We wouldn't think the private equity group. And so he did, he agreed and we did it. Um, so kudos to him, but that speaks to the we. And so you got to walk the talk and it really is fundamentally, it's about people feeling valued. You've got, and it's not easy because people are complicated. <laughs> <laughs> Humans are very complicated. For sure. Yeah. It's funny. I was going to ask you to tell the story of a time where you helped uh, people on your team feel valued, but that's a very big one. Do you have anything that may be specific, like a specific time with one person, maybe that you were able to help them feel more valued and felt like, I really think I did a good job with that. A piece of advice that I got early on my career that I've repeated, and it was my first job leaving Loblaws to go to FC Johnson, a family company. I just love saying that. Um, so uh, when I was leaving, a peer of mine said to me, um, Kevin, leave, leave a job even better than how you started. By the way, you had nothing to gain by this. And in hindsight, I think about how young we were and how, like, how much wisdom this, this guy had. Like We're the same age. And he's like, leave a job better than what you had it. And so I say that because I've actually advised people at many points, if you want to leave, I want you to be here because you want to be here and I will help you however it is. But if you want to leave and go somewhere else, I will help you. I will help you. All I say is make sure you give everything you've got at this job to your last moment till you leave, like to your last moment. And so that's really paid back. And I've, I've seen it happen over and over again, where people give it their all, where they have moved on to different jobs. And so, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's specifically the advice you're looking for, but I feel like that's uh, career advice that I've gotten a lot of feedback from people where they said it's really helped them and pay it forward. You know, something I'm curious about, because I think it's easy when someone is performing really well and they're like, Hey, I think I'm, I want to move on. And you're like, okay, fine. Let's figure a transition, blah, blah, blah. And it's like the supportive, lovely, rosy thing. But what about the people that have a really hard time trying to get to that next level? You know, what is it? What do people have? What do they have to do? You know, uh, what do they have a hard time learning? Maybe you need to care a lot. And you need to dig in and you need to spend the time. And so as an example, if someone is struggling, right, you, you need to think of where are they on a spectrum, let's say from one to four, four being, um, I've done this many times before. I don't need your help. I'll just let you know when I'm done. A one is I've never done this before. I need to get involved with you at a granular level to help us figure this out together or to help you figure it out. Make the task smaller, shorter time spans. You see that continuum, the difference. And so the reason I say that is if someone's struggling, so if it's a work performance issue, you need to get very specific about here. This is what needs to be done. 
I'm going to help you. Like you want them to know I'm in your court. It may not work and we might have to part ways, but I think the biggest mistake that I've seen, especially in, in kind of bigger corporate worlds is we're putting you on a performance plan and it's almost like you're, you're done. Oh yeah. That's definitely halfway out the door, yeah. you know, <laughs> and, but, but I don't think it has to be that way. I really don't. Yeah. I, agree. I think it's like, I agree. this is your performance plan. Let's work on this thing and let's get this thing. This is going to be, this is going to be the platform to lift you up, up and go. And that's how it should be. Mm-hmm. Right. But I don't think those things, those plans, whatever they are, are really designed actually to benefit the employee and, and to help them actually bring them back up. I think it's kind of designed the opposite. I think you're right. Um, I, we didn't do that at noon and some, sometimes it doesn't work and there could be different reasons. Maybe there's a skill set competency gap. You know, sometimes like there, there's, is it, it's a confidence and competency when confidence exceeds competency by too much, you're in trouble or, or vice versa. And so, you know, if they can't get their head straight, um, if they don't have the follow through accountability, or they just don't have the competence, then it's, it may not work. But I think the biggest issue is people don't spend the time to try to help. Again, you have to care. You have to care, which then makes someone feel valued, which is where I come back to leadership. It's the number one thing you can get, you can do. Listen, we're all, Every single person, every single person is, that works, is, is on a team, is in the business of serving people. Tom Peters is the uh, Red Bull, what they, what they, what they call him, the um, Red Bull of business consultants or something like that. He, he, he's, he's an older guy now, but he, Tom Peters is amazing. And he says that people serving people serving people. It is the, it is the way to go. And so I fundamentally believe in that. I've, I try to practice that. It's becoming harder, um, quite honestly, uh, as the company at noon grows, because I, I have less time to allocate to it. Um, it gets really hard to cover the time. I'm not saying I don't do it, and I'm not saying I won't do it, but it, it is harder um, to find it because there's just more people in a bigger organization to try to help if I, if I want to step in to do that. Right. It becomes you kind of working more, obviously, um, depending on different stages of the business, but it kind of goes from, you know, as you're building to, you're actually just, you're really leading most of the managers, right? The, the VP level executive team, and then helping them to become the best managers and leaders for their team. So it can keep trickling down. How do you do that? How do you support executive team members? Well, you're right. Cause there's, there's coaching people and then there's coaching the coach. You need to have frequent communication. If that frequent communication between me and, you know, my, my executive leadership team, if there's a gap there, then uh, it's probably not going to work. Um, so we have to be both committed then. And, and I've had issues where the, the communication starts to fail and it's a gap and then the gap becomes bigger and it's like, this isn't going to work. Yeah, that sucks. I hate when that happens. <laughs> the gap just grows. And it's almost like if you don't hit it and, and like real bust it in reverse and try to or do a U-turn to get it back, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it's gone. Yeah, I agree. You know, how about this, though? Here, here's an example that'll show the power of the people um, and why the people ultimately are where you want to focus as you start to scale um, as an entrepreneur and, and a business. When I first started at noon, one of the, the hypotheses here was... Uh, from the board, it's like, hey, so you're probably going to want a clean house kind of talk. I think they might have even used those words. It's like, I'm interested to see what you're going to do there. I, that was the lead in. I go, hold on, hold on. Let me dig in here. Let me dig in here. And so the company was um, just wasn't meeting its target. And so it was growing, but it was growing at a slower and slower rate. And so I bring this up because 
we we actually hit budget. This is luck, truly. But I will say it starts to become less luck as we move forward. The first month I was there, we achieved budget. And it wasn't hitting budget before that. The next month we hit budget. The next month we hit budget. And the next month we hit budget. And we it actually got stronger. Here's where I'm going. It wasn't me. Like, it wasn't like this magic, like, what did he do? The key here was I was looking out around the company virtually, if you will, and just going, where are the wins? And so I was looking for wins to get a spark because I have a big big believer in momentum builds more momentum. I use the phrase mojo builds mojo. And so I'm starting to get a spark because I just needed something for people to believe in themselves. So it's a little Ted Lasso-esque. So maybe maybe I'm pre-Ted Lasso, but this idea of you've got to believe in what we're going to do and you've got to believe in yourself is absolutely where I start. And way to do that is like, that was good. Never make it up by the way, ever, 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 ever. But there's wins happening all around. And all of a sudden the mentality changes. And then I start saying it. And guess what? The leaders that are reporting to me start saying it. And then the leaders that are reporting to them start saying it. And you can see how this becomes viral. And I say that because the trajectory changed and you know where the story ended, at least this chapter of the novel or this novel ended by going to Nestle Health Science, like it reversed and it was the power to the people in a good way. It was like, we can do this. Like Ted Lasso was onto something with belief. I totally agree with that. I just wish I put a sign up at our door that we all tapped on that said believe when we went in and in and out of the office. Do you have any other final advice for entrepreneurs tuning in or, or people aspiring to be a CEO one day, whether it's of their own company or someone else's? Any final advice? And what can we expect to see from noon? Think about this one. So if, when it comes to uh, founders and start, it's, it's harder than it looks. I'm not trying to scare anyone. It's harder than it looks. It can be an absolute grind. So... You need to believe with conviction in what you're doing. You need to be flexible and adaptable as you get new information. So it's going to shift. What you thought was this line to get to a certain point is not going to be the pattern. It's going to be something completely different, but that's okay. You believe in your idea and you've got to be ready for the grind and you've got to find joy in that. You have to find joy in that. And if you don't, then it's, it's just gonna, it's just gonna smother you and crush, crush your soul. Um, and it doesn't need to, it doesn't need to. So you just got to find that. So be like, be honest with yourself and say, am I suited for that? When it comes to CEO, CEO, uh, is a little bit of the, the knower of all the expert of nothing. See, so yep. <laughs> right. Everyone thinks you, yeah. you, you're the expert on everything. And meanwhile, actually I'm not, I just need to know questions to ask to help the team get to the right spot. But I don't know more, even though I have a marketing career, I don't know more than the marketers. That's crazy. I, they know way more than I do, way more um, salespeople, but I can help them see a bigger picture. I can help them see where it's going. And if I do have one other piece of advice that I've got from my team to me, as a leader, entrepreneur, founder, or CEO, or both, is this if you're likely in that position, you probably have a lot of ideas and I have a lot of ideas. There, ideas are easy. Ideas are super easy, actually. The hard part is making it happen. So be cautious on the words that you use when you have ideas, not because you're going to like turn anyone off, 
The problem is, is when you speak, your voice is really loud and its impact is loud and therefore people will act. And you actually don't always want them to act on all your crazy ideas. Sometimes you're like, I just want to run this by you. You need to be super clear on that. And you also need to be super clear at the end. It's like, don't do anything. Just let, let that sit for a minute. I'm, I'm going to think about it. Keep doing what you're doing. My point is your words and impact have so much, uh, your words have so much impact on others, positive or negative. Think about that. Think about that. And that also goes with ideas because they could be distracted and complexity is the enemy of execution. So don't, don't let that happen. Please, please, please for your own sake. Yeah. And so what's, what can we expect next? From from noon, what do you guys have cooking? Oh gosh, um, well you know now that we joined forces with Nestle Science, I think you'll probably expect to see us in more places. Some chocolate tablets. I'm just kidding. That's an interesting idea. That's an interesting <laughs> idea. Mixing the two, you know, Nestle and never mind. No, no, uh, I, I got it. I totally go got it. it. <laughs> um, maybe. Maybe it. Maybe a chocolate tablet. Um, it's not that I know of. Maybe someone's working on that, and I didn't know that. But I, I will say this is we're going to stay laser focused on hydration. And ultimately, at the end of the day, this is what, what, what we know on hydration. And this is why we think it's so important. 75% of the population chronically dehydrated, not clinically, but chronically. We don't drink enough water. There's three reasons. One, it's boring. That's what people tell us. Two, especially women, I feel full. I don't really want it right now. So you need to make a count. And then three, um, I forget. So how do we address those things, right? So make it taste really good, make the experience really fun. Let's make it efficacious. And then third one, you know, make it portable, easy to easy to find and use. I also would love to do something technology-wise. I'm not sure Nestle's um, on on board with me on that one, by the way, because it's not necessarily our core competency. But I, I just look at wearable technology and I go, what could we do around that 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 could help people monitor hydration better? And there's things out there already, so maybe we don't need to do it. We just need to partner with the right group. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Kevin, for being on the show today. It was awesome hearing your inspiring story. And uh, thanks so much for joining us. It was my pleasure, Lee. Thank you. And uh, stay hydrated. Thank you so much for listening to the Stairway to CEO podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Lee Green. And if you have any burning business questions, please feel free to reach us at www.stairwaytoceo.com. We'd love to hear from you. And if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show, tell your friends, leave us a review and follow us on Instagram at Stairway to CEO. Until next time, guys, keep on climbing.